0: and organisation. Our topic today is the importance of teams and organisations. Cullen Murphy is a master accredited executive coach and team coach with an established track record of coaching success with local and multinational organisations at the individual and team level. Cullen is also head of coaching programmes at Smurfit Executive Development and is currently completing his Doctorate on the Effectiveness of Team Coaching. So Cullum, very welcome to the Workplace Podcast. William, thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. So in terms of our topic today, the importance of teams and organizations, why why are teams so important to organizations?
1: Well, if we all just reflect for a second our working environment, we've been to realize that we are all members of multiple teams. So it's not even just the idea of us being a member of one team. We are continually working in different teams. And due to the complexity of our worlds right now, the time demands, many of our organizations are trying to serve global customers, the days when one person can do it all are gone. There's a level of complexity there's a level of stretch, there's a need for diversity in what we're offering. So nested within all our organizations are these these, uh, operating teams of which we're members of many, because even even this podcast right now, this is a a teaming between you and me. You could run your podcast series all by yourself, but you'd lose something out of that, I'd imagine. So so this is teaming, and, and then even if we take on a national level what's happening with COVID, we're seeing teaming happening across nations, within uh, health systems, um, not always very well, but across governmental bodies. And so, some of the complex challenges we face in us as a society and as organisations can only ever be addressed by by working in a team because of the complexities. That's why it's really important.
0: And do you think in organisations, people tend to focus on individuals too much versus teams? Where you know, what are your thoughts? Because you know, is 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 it? You know, the the stronger the team is, the stronger the organization, or is the stronger the individual the stronger the
1: organization? What are your what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, So uh, please jump in as well here, William. I mean, um, the the classic. So, so I've positioned that teams are really important. That's not a very shocking statement to make on, on this podcast, but let's mm. look at the reality. I mean, what do we still reward? We still, most organizations are rewarding the individual. Um, yeah. As a Western culture, we are still obsessed with the heroic leader. So if we take any organization or any sport or any type of of musical team, band, we're always looking for who's the individual. It always has to be the head coach or that player. And we totally ignore all these other teams and, and aspects that contribute. So I think we're obsessed with the individual as a heroic model. We reward individual and, and what's still surprises me is we know teams are are really important they take up a lot of our time and effort and yet all that developmental budget in my experience still goes to the individual now i don't know what what you make of that but i was trying i'm still trying to figure out why are we staying away from actually pausing and looking at how do we develop a collective team as opposed to the individuals i kind of wonder is there something about um a risk reward dilemma going on here that that the reward of sending you or me on a training program it's probably low-ish reward but the risk is low or getting you and me to be coached. We know there's a reward and there's there's moderate risk. I think there's something about team development which is trickier. Um, It's probably a bit historical as well. In the past team development has often been that away day, build a raft, Go for a few drinks, and that doesn't make a difference, and actually can often be counterproductive. So there's a legacy thing about team development that hasn't always worked, and there's a sense of well, what can you do that will give you the reward? I mean, what what are you what are you seeing when you think about that spend of, of money in terms of teams and individuals?
0: Yeah, like for me, I would often go into a client or a pers- uh, you know a prospective client and. I'd be trying to figure out what are their challenges and what are they hoping to achieve? What are the outcomes from that intervention, be it coaching or um, be it that team development piece. And oftentimes when I go in, you know, the reality in the room is very different. People have frustrations about the system in terms of how the organization doesn't really, isn't fit for purpose for that team to thrive. And, um, but then saying that sometimes the organization is fit for purpose and then the team isn't adapting or addressing the key challenges within the room like trust or working styles or being able to you know, meet each other's needs. So, you know, for me, it can be somewhat uh, you have to be have that objective uh, eye for looking at complex situations and try to navigate what's the best path for this team. You know that that's sometimes my approach. What
1: What are yours? What What are your thoughts on that? Yes. Yeah, so, so I think we're becoming much more aware of of those systems dynamics that that how any one of us performs isn't just purely down to me. And and of course human nature. Sure, we'll want to make certain people the victim or the villain or we scapegoat the individual. But yeah. it's almost like that Russian doll impact that we're all nested into these other parts. So so, so even, even when I see, for example, a conflict between two team members, let's say yeah. you and I are having a struggle with our relationships, you know, we can put it down to, well, that's William and that's Colin and they got to the change. But, but often if you go into root cause analysis, you know, what is causing that conflict is often something that's happening uh, in terms of role clarity which is happening within a sense of what's the bigger purpose of the team which is where does the team sit with its stakeholders which is what's the mood and the culture of the organization which is nested within what's happening at a societal level so I think the temptation is we keep we're more comfortable going after the individual and sending William off to get some coaching because he's not really showing up on the team or he's disruptive and it's trickier work by its very nature is to step back and say, well, what are we all contributing to this? It's very easy to place it all on William. What's Colin doing? What's the What's the broader team doing? All those systems pieces you talked about. So that's where I think there's still a piece of work to help organizations be patient and see the value of, of how do you help teams learn? I think that's probably the core of what I'm, I'm trying to get yeah. at today is, is yeah. I think I think we know how to help an individual learn. It can be formal, like a program or a university program. It can be a bit more tailored, like coaching. I think there's still a block in how do you help a team learn as a team? And with, in doing that, how do you help other teams around them learn as well as they learn? And that really beautiful kind of cascading uh, impact that can come from really high quality team development. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what I see in really high
0: performing organizations is that if you have a really team, strong, uh, strong team culture, that leads to really strong organizational culture. And, you know, it has that butterfly effect where other teams then, you know, will have are learning from other teams, you know, and they're being at the best and they're having real conversations. And it's a- there's so much flux at the moment. It's about learning how to how to, you know, operate in that kind of that flux. There isn't it? It's there's a lot going on uh, for people, and it's it's about okay. A lot there's a lot of spinning plates, if you want to call it that. There's Personal challenges that we have in terms of childcare, maybe working from home. We have, you know, the challenges then from, you know, the maybe the organization's changing their strategy and what's our our team purpose has that changed, you know. So there are a lot of things going on, and and sometimes, and this is what happened a lot in the pandemic, is there's job creep, isn't there, where that role clarity isn't there, and suddenly I'm doing
1: maybe two pe- persons' jobs. And. Yeah. You know, again, a premise I would have is is we're members of multiple teams. I think uh, yeah. a recent survey I saw talked about seventy percent of our respondents saying it's two or more teams. So, so as I become more team literate, uh, yeah, and. and maybe understand what are the mechanics of successful teams and we have some of those we will have some assumptions around that i mean we could guess at some of it but as we become more team literate and help teams become more literate the transferability happens because you're going to be a member of many other teams right now or in the future and how do you bring that literacy with you as well um so I think that's, that's a key part is how do we just get, step back and think about what does a successful team look like in this environment? Uh, Peter Hawkins, who's one of the, the key writers in the world of team coaching, will often talk about we've got really good at learning about um, EQ, emotional intelligence, but what about WeQ? How do we get cleverer or more aware or more tuned into collaboration and teaming and he'd also would say well you know as i'm speaking to you right now about teams being intact with organizations that's probably already coming to a, a natural end what we're going to be seeing more and more from organizations is partnerships across organizations yeah so so how does this team in organization a actually partner with a supplier team in organization b and c and so this idea of, of the ecosystem is changing, but like our careers have changed. Few of us have just one career. We're developing a portfolio. I think even how we're seeing teams as just being embedded in one system will change over time. The idea of partnership and, and coalitions and really engaging with your supply chain at a teaming level means that we also, again, need to be team literate. How do we start these teams on a good footing and get the most out of them? and know how to how to really drive effectiveness
0: yeah you, you touched on some really important points you know and i think that literacy literacy piece is really important because it gives us a way to communicate it gives us a shared framework uh, a mental model if you want to call it that and we have that aligned vision and, and you talk about you know what are the characteristics of of a great team, I think that's important for our listeners to understand is what are the the terms we should be getting used to and what does a, a great team look like? So, you know, you can take either of those questions
1: um, in terms of priority for yourself. Yeah, so so I'm going to even take a step back because because yeah. let's start with the word team even or the construct of team. So, yeah. Uh, again, in an attempt to be provocative, I, I think we overuse that word everything becomes a team um and so let, let me just differentiate between teams and, and groups for a moment so, so yeah a team you're thinking about okay it's two two or more people um they have a common purpose yeah they have probably common accountability. So they're holding each other accountable. But the key thing is there's a level of interdependency. I need to pass the ball to you. You need to pass the ball to me in order for us to achieve that common purpose. So interdependencies is key to this concept of team. When right. I go to organizations and I get asked to work with teams, I've, I've worked with teams where they're actually not a team. They may have mary as their boss and there's four or five of us reporting into mary but actually there's no interdependency between the rest of us we are all hub and spoke to mary so on one level let's call it what it is groups are also high performing so i think we're obsessed with teams are the answer and actually i think the worst thing to do is to try and impose a, a team approach on a group of people who don't need to be a team That's been my experience in my career of being very frustrating. I actually don't need to be spending lots of time with this person to get the job done. So there's something about how do we look at the, 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 I don't know what to call them now, teams groups, the cohorts of people the listeners are working with right now. Do you need to be a team? Is the purpose requiring you to have a level of independency? Teams aren't necessarily better than groups. The answer to the question of what do you need to be depends on the purpose. Does it need us to work at a level of interdependency? So let me just take a sporting example, try and help. Yeah. If I think of gymnastics, gymnastics teams, everybody will do their own event. Yeah. Whether it be that the, the beam or the rings or whatever else. And we add up all the individual scores and the USA score is this and the uh, the Russian score is that and the French score is this and that's how you win the team medal. But it's made up of you add one and one and one and one, and you get a score. So, so it's, it's a group, there's low interdependency. You take a sport like basketball, which I think is the ultimate interdependent sport. There's, there's five players on a team on the court and, and they are moving around that court, swapping, swapping positions and, and they need to keep... Passing the ball, but also they build that instinct to know where each other are. So they can almost find each other when it's not necessarily in our in our vision ahead of us. So again, every team will be different on that question. But what I'm often experiencing is teaming being imposed on groups. But on the other side, what I then experience is teams who need to be teams acting like groups. Yeah. So so many of the senior leadership teams I go in with. There is a compelling common purpose that the organization says, we need a leadership team across all these functions to really deliver on this so we can deliver on the organizational goal. They are separate. The purpose of the senior leadership team is different to the purpose of the goal. It's in service of that. And yet, when you look at the behaviors, the salesperson talks, then the finance person talks, then the marketing person argues with the salesperson, then the operational person, and they're actually acting like they're a group. A group to me is you come in, you share best practice, but then I go back and do my job better. Whereas a team is about that collective performance. So I think it's just an interesting, before we get into the characteristics, I think a really interesting question for all the listeners is as you think about teams you've been in or are in at the moment leading or member of that question, do we need to be a team or a group? And which one are we acting like? And, and even in that conversation, there's a great conversation for any team to start having. How does that align with you? Is that
0: tie in with your experience? That does tie in my experience. You reminded me of the work of Katzenbach and Smith, you know, where they have a working group and the 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 pseudo team with the potential team and the real team, the high performance team, you kind of need to know. And I suppose the reason why I call them out is, is to add that literacy for our listeners. Um, And they, they talk about, you know, you, you were talking about uh, interdependence, you know, and I'm glad you talked about that because sometimes we need to be mutually accountable to people. So if I do something for you, um, and because I'm dependent on you, that means you're dependent on me. There needs to be some sort of sometimes that accountability to each other. And I think a lot of conflict happens where people fail to meet expectations of others or maybe it's not clarified in terms of what's expected. You know, so I'm, I'm curious about that interdependency piece between working groups and and teams because I noticed that when I go in, there's a lot of conflict around that. Yeah,
1: and and, and even just to, I mean, none of this work is a is a quick fix. There's no panacea for this. But yeah, I I have I have rarely in my professional corporate career before I went out and and started to work with organizations as opposed to in them. We rarely ever had these conversations. You almost just fell into this construct. That we all assumed. Oh, we're a team because again, I go back to this principle. I think teams sound sexy. You know, uh, the Olympics yeah. will happen next year. Every every country in the world will have team, team Ireland, team GB. You know, and they're not teams, right? The, the boxers don't have interdependency on the gymnasts or the runners, right? It's just a branding piece. But I, I know it'd be a lot less sexy if we call it group Ireland or group GB. Just wouldn't have that. Yeah. Have. So so we're obsessing on team as a construct, but we just fall into it. I join a team tomorrow and suddenly I'm into these meetings. And then a huge assumption that never really gets explored is, is do we need to be that? And what is that level of interdependency? Because again, if there's low need for it, it's really frustrating to be kept on being forced onto the dance floor to dance with others. And if there's a high need for it, it's equally frustrating to watch how the people step out of the dance and not get yeah. on the dance floor. And I think that's often where we see the frustration and the strange is, is, I'm giving this effort, you're not, or you're you're expecting me to do something which I don't think is in my role here. So I think it's a fundamental question for any team is, is to get some clarity on what is our level of mm-hmm. interdependence in service of our purpose. And I've said that probably a few times. So I think you know, as we as we transition to well, what are the characteristics of a performance team? That clarity of a compelling purpose, mm. and, and more than just something written on the wall. It has to be. I mean, that word "compelling" has to mean something to each of us individually and collectively. And compelling, even as I use that word, it has a level of energy to it. You know, it, it's a challenging purpose. It's a stretch, but it is compelling. It makes a difference. Yeah, and and if we can't articulate what difference our team is making as a team, well then, we probably shouldn't be doing this anyway, because somebody yeah. else is already doing it. So, um, so I don't know if that's a useful segue then into thinking about well, what are those characteristics? And again, um, as people are listening, there's probably a lot of a lot of common sense here, but not always common practice. Yeah. I'm getting struck by in working with teams and you ask around the team, what's the purpose of the team? You can end up with the famous Heinz 57 varieties. And and in every bit of that variety, you then get some insight. Why are we potentially pulling against each other? Because if I think the purpose of this podcast is to sell cornflakes, and you're thinking, well, the purpose of this podcast is to help, you know, engage and, and uh, educate listeners. We're going to go off in totally different directions on that. Mm. So so that idea of, of a set of compelling purpose that really uh, is consequential, I think is a conversation a lot of teams almost um, drive over, or a lot of assumptions get made that everybody's on the same page.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's about context then, because I'm glad you mentioned that, like there's there's no way of having a silver bullet to fix the problems in your organization, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, the common sense and common practice, you know, common sense, everybody's aware of it, but it is a common practice. I think that's really important to understand for our listeners is that, you know, it, that it's that knowing-doing gap, isn't it? we know something but we do something else you know in terms of what good theory is so when we talk about characteristics of teams then what are you know to enhance our literacy then what are you know the characteristics that we should be mindful of
1: so just before i go there just to what you just spoke to about the knowing and doing gap I, i think it's still not practice for us to slow down as teams. If I think of teams, we, we get into a lot of meetings, they get tactical. And then we often spend a lot of time looking backwards, you know, QBRs, quarterly reviews, yeah. or looking forwards, let's strategize. How do we be secure enough as a team and as a leader to say, let's just stop what's going on right now? How are we doing right now? Because we see it all in front of us. We see all of the, the, are we all on the same page? We see the dynamics of nothing gets agreed in meetings, but they get agreed outside outside by a couple of people. We see it all, but if we don't stop We'll never get the learning from it. So I think there's something about, and that needs a bit of courage to say, let's not jump into the next task. Let's slow down and actually look at how are we doing? So that's just a, a bit of a thought. So so I mentioned purpose. I guess purpose is key. It, it's gonna drive the need to be a team. But tied along to that is the, the, the watch out is often teams will come up with their own purpose and, and have something lovely that they put on a wall. If we go back to basics, teams are created by stakeholders. So there are people in your organization, maybe recently or long ago, who've decided that a team is needed to meet a need or to produce outputs for either the organization or the stakeholders. And you're it, that's your team, be it an operational team, a project team, management team, um, senior leadership team. And so while we start trying to clarify and get visibility on our purpose, and again, the purpose will change around. So even if you've been a team for a number of years, it's always good to go back and say, is this still our purpose? I think the other thing is you need to start from outside in. So how do you go back to the stakeholders and and clarify with them, what do they expect from this team? Because what I often see is the team itself may come up with a lovely purpose, but never engage the system to see, is that the value add? So I almost come up with this is what we're about. That's wonderful, but it adds no value, and the stakeholders are still left out there. So, so one of the things I really encourage team leaders and teams to do is how do you go out and talk to your stakeholders and, and ask that what this idea again from Peter Hawkins of, of what are they commissioning you on? And I don't mean commission as in getting extra money. It's commissioning. Your stakeholders will often give you sometimes conflicting missions. And that's part of the work of a team is, how do you hold that tension? But what are you being asked to produce by these stakeholders and then develop your purpose from that? So it's an outside in approach, as opposed to us coming up with some lovely uh, verbiage that we can hang on a wall. So so high-performance teams to me, yes, they have clarity of purpose, which they revisit, but they are also engaging with their stakeholders be that internal or external to make sure they're still serving the purpose that's required
0: yeah i think that's really important for our listeners is that we cannot give you the formula you have to find the formula yourself you know and we're we're just there to help you facilitate that and ask the right questions to get those right ingredients there to get those outputs as you were saying there column is that kind of
1: what we should be emphasizing to the listeners yeah, I guess in terms of, of the work that myself and others like yourself would be doing is we we are, we are trying to help teams have robust conversations with itself, but in so that the team can be better at it, both its task and its teamwork. But in doing that, one of the conversations is to be more engaging with your stakeholders. Teams don't exist in a vacuum. So yeah. if I am leading a sales team, yes, it's the customer voice, but how do I speak to marketing? How do I speak to IT? How do we team with them to figure out and share? This is what we think our purpose is. What do you think your purpose is? How do we speak to the senior leadership? So again, stakeholders are people who have the right to have an expectation of this team, either in what you produce or deliver. And it's one measure of, of what is a, an effective team. They meet the needs of the stakeholders. Now, yeah. two, other, two other aspects of what is a high-performing team. They meet the needs of the stakeholders. The team is capable of being viable over a number of years. So we don't meet the needs of the stakeholders and then explode and never want to talk to each other again. We're able to go again. So we meet the needs of the stakeholders. We are viable because we're learning and getting better at this. And the third measure of team effectiveness is, and there is member satisfaction being in this team is helping me learn and develop and contribute. And I could achieve one of those three and not the other two. So the challenge again is how do we meet the stakeholder needs, keep viable and making sure members are getting something from the experience. But that first one is key. So, so going out there and not just the leader, because that's the other interesting thing. Sometimes the leader goes out and speaks to the stakeholders. How does the team hear the stakeholder voice? And that's that's an ongoing thing. One team I worked with, and and out of this conversation, they actually would always have a spare. This is back in the days, as they say, on physical meetings, but you can do it virtually. They'd always have a seat for the customer or for the stakeholder, an empty seat, that at any time a team member could step into and say, hold a sec, I think that all sounds great to us, but if I step into this seat right now, I think we're, we're, we could be missing something. So it's an ongoing awareness raising of are we meeting the needs of our stakeholders? And that's a conversation.
0: And are there other factors then? You mentioned three there. Is there, is there other factors then we should
1: be mindful of? So some other key things. So after you've got that that clarity of purpose um, and, and you've got your stakeholders lined up, I mean, some, some of the key ingredients of high-performance teams are around um, then, really looking at the norms or the behaviors within the team. So, when I mean norms, I'm talking about almost these often unconscious, ingrained behaviors that this team exhibits. So, by the classic example I'd always use as you know my first time ever in London, uh, you know, some explicit norms like mind the gap. Okay, wasn't something I would think about before. But but yeah. even that really important norm of stand to the right of the escalator. Now there is a, a brilliant norm in operation. What an effective way to get millions of people in and out of an underground system. And yet, I don't know about you, William. Remember my first couple of times getting trampled and, and hissed at because there was I, the tourist, standing on the wrong side. So I'm standing still, and that's the fast way up, right? So so there's these norms. And again, any of us we walk into a meeting room, there are these often unspoken norms. Who sits where? Who speaks last? Do we disagree? Do we hide conflict? Do we overdo the conflict and never get to agreement? Um, how do we make decisions? How often do we meet? Is there a norm that we all meet, but then really it's Column and William outside of the meeting who decide. I was working with one team a few years ago and, and their norm was they would discuss something at a meeting and, and agree it, and then three weeks later the same topic would like magic suddenly reappear on the agenda so nothing was ever agreed and again one thing i'll be encouraging leaders of teams and team members to do is is let's do a bit of an inventory what are the norms of this team and are they serving us well some of the norms we have could be absolutely fit for purpose because they help us with our purpose yeah. but there's a chance. are we have some very conscious and unconscious norms that might be getting in the way of us actually behaving in a way that helps us serve our purpose. So I, I would always encourage teams to have that conversation about what are the norms of this team? What are some of those unspoken elephants in the room or, or those little behaviours? You know, yeah. the boss always speaks last. Don't disagree with the boss. Um, is that familiar it,
0: to you and your experience? <laughs> I I feel like you've been in every room I've ever been in, Cullum. You you've, you've you've done that really well. Like for like, what I would say is is I tend to use the word habits. What are the habits of your team? So mm-hmm. you know, again, you've touched on all the various different ones there. You know, I've had people and you know saying it's 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 funny you've actually said the exact same things there decisions being made outside the room maybe meetings running on too long or as that's because topic keeps reappearing or nobody's making a a final decision on that you know but and a lot of times when I'm brought in is that like maybe conflict isn't addressed you know and there's that underlying I suppose toxic nature to a team and it's it's these unhealthy habits that we suppose we need to really surface um, there to make sure that we're really a, a strong performing team.
1: So, and so there's there's one one particular and. Um, uh, norm or construct that's really emerging from the literature in the last couple of years so mm. it's it's the probably another watch out for anybody so we talked about stakeholder engagement purpose norms this idea of psychological safety so so what do we mean by that so it got a lot of airtime in the last few years because of research done within Google where they were trying to figure out what was that magic sauce that made some teams higher performing than others? And it wasn't the quality of the leader. It wasn't how intelligent the team members were. It was around some of the things we talked about. There was clear purpose, clarity of roles. But the number one thing they found was this idea of psychological safety. And have you come across that, William, that, that idea? I have.
0: And, you know, for me, I think that's one of the most crucial things you need in a team. You know, because how can I have trust? How can people be vulnerable? Going back to Lencioni's uh, model, you know, it you yeah, really need that as a, a foundation, don't you? The psychological safety. Do you want to let the, the listeners know what is psychological safety? How would you know that you have it or or what
1: is it? So for all our listeners, I want you to think of a meeting where you've been in, where you wanted to say something, share an idea, share a bit about yourself be you you basically and you had this internal dialogue that says don't do it don't take that risk that almost felt sense of "I, i can't i can't challenge what's being said or I can't disagree or I can't throw up a kind of a wacky idea because it's going to get shut down. I can't make a mistake here because I'm going to get, you know, the Spanish Inquisition or I'm going to be mocked. So at the core of psychological safety, it's this sense of a high psychological safety will mean that I feel like I can take personal risks so I can be me. It's me feeling like you're all going to give me the benefit of the doubt for me being me. So if I say something that isn't right, if I get something wrong, if I throw out a first crazy idea, if I make an observation, I have the space and the safety to say that. I'm not gonna get shot down, belittled. So we're probably all recognizing events where we felt like, you know, it's Christmas time coming up now. I'm sure there's lots of Christmas dinners where where psychological safety uh, which is a group construct, by the way. So so what's interesting about psychological safety is it is different to trust. Trust is is me right now. My trust of, of William is I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he will in the future do what he says he's going to do. So it's future orientated. It's between two people, and I give him that benefit of the doubt. Psychological safety would be what's being created between me and William and maybe a few others about what's happening right now and it's that sense of will they give me the benefit of the doubt can I be me so, so what's the price of low psychological safety well you can imagine You know, innovation will not happen if I'm afraid of opening my mouth challenge won't happen if I'm afraid of opening my mouth um, rigorous discussion won't happen buy-in won't happen because again if we're all, you know, listening at the meeting and, and we just nod and it's compl- you know it's uh, we're complying with engagement, we're not going to be fully engaged, and therefore we're not going to deliver on it. So, so I think if there's one particular norm to to really also pay attention to is is, and I was working with a, a leader one to one last week, and and he, he's begun to realize that he has been playing a role in reducing psychological safety. That that because of some of the pressures he's faced. There are probably times where he's taken some people out in front of other members of the team and and he's trying to own that and change it. And he was saying to me, but it's interesting. I I really try to sit back here and I tried to invite the team to really brainstorm about next year's strategy. And I got nothing back. And I was saying to him, look, I'm really admiring your efforts, but no one person can change psychological safety. It's a group construct. So Mm. people aren't going to suddenly start sharing crazy interesting innovative ideas when the history has been keep your powder dry and don't get belittled and i don't know about you william i've definitely been in teams and actually i find the higher up they are the more likely where you're thinking oh thank goodness margaret is getting bashed up today that might mean i get a chance of surviving you can almost feel it in rooms right who's going to be next yeah um And it stifles so much of what the team, back to that interdependency, that sense of cohesion, that innovation, all the things we need teams for, the diversity of opinion, debating, really buying into something, all of that gets dampened down. If people, there's a lovely uh, quote from a guy called uh, uh, Robert Keegan who says, we all have two jobs, the job we do and the job of covering our backsides. And, And if people in your team are using up the time if people in your team are using up their time in meetings to cover their backside, you're not going to be an effective team. Uh,
0: You know, and all of this rings true in terms of all my experiences and all my my learnings, you know, because if you have low psychological safety and I've been there, you know, and and I suppose many of our listeners have, is you're kind of going, if I speak up now, that's going to be a career limiter or I'm going to be admonished by my manager, and it's, you know, I'm feeling vulnerable for all the wrong reasons. You know, I'm I, I'm afraid to speak out or speak up or um highlight maybe our frustrations, you know, and it goes back to that engagement in the workplace and morale. You know, if you have low psychological safety, then, you know, everything's gone into maybe group things sometimes because no, you don't have that... Um, ability to challenge, as you were saying, or to hold each other accountable, you know, and I think it's a, a really important ingredient uh, for for successful teams. So in, in terms of, of, of that, then, you know, we have the, the various different factors then, and you talk about team coaching. What is the role of team coaching then in terms of creating that Uh, I suppose, optimal team environment.
1: So we probably have all experienced uh, other team interventions. So I've mentioned before, start started the classic team building where we we go off and we we uh, build a raft or do um, high rope activities, and then they tend to be kind of focused on. It's a one off event, uh, and it's often around trying to build some inter interpersonal new dynamics, which can often... Uh, my favourite my favorite team developments or team building story I ever across was a guy from Scotland who said that his boss, who was a bit of a maverick, brought them all up to a swimming pool in Scotland uh, and got them to individually s- uh, swim with a shark. Um Okay. And so it always... Uh, Tickles my fancy that that a hey, what was a shark doing in the swimming pool in Scotland? But when you think about it, he never give them any warning. So it's like you turn up with your togs. The next thing you have to get into a cage with a shark. So you think it's it's also. It's it's totally unsafe for most people, and it's got nothing to do with team building, right? They're all doing it individually. So that's one extreme. So team building uh, is often a one-off event. It's often just about trying to get people kind of, you know, mixing each other and some shared experiences. And what it's not doing is helping the team look at its performance or look at what's happening real time. The other thing that we're often familiar with is we might get in a facilitator, so we might get yeah. in a William or a column or somebody else. I will say, you know what, we we want to go through Myers-Briggs or we want to look at Lencioni's five dysfunctions or we want to come out with a vision statement. So somebody will come in and what they're doing is they, there's very much a, a process and an end point, again, often just a, a one-off event. So you want a vision by the end of these few hours. Let's let's walk you through a few exercises and we make sure voices are heard. So it's it's all about process. For me, team coaching might include both of those things, but it's more than that. So as a team coach, I'm interested in not just process, but ultimately in the performance of the team. I'm trying to help the team look at where is this performance now and what does it need to do to improve the performance? And that can be around how they do their tasks as a team or the task of the team and how they team so all the things we just talked about it's also about not me just following through processes like a training course it's trying to stick with the conversation so how do I build psychological safety so that the team begins to have the conversations we just don't get to have at our daily or weekly meetings or we just can't get to because we're in it whereas this person who's helping us, can often spot these things and bring their curiosity. So for me, team coaching is not a one-off event. It's often over six to nine to 12 months working with the team across that period. It often will have regular check-in points. And like any coaching, it's keeping the responsibility and the accountability with the team. The team coach isn't there to solve the problems or or do the work. They're not a de facto leader. It's helping The team stop and look in the mirror and having somebody there also to help support robust, psychologically safe and challenging conversations. So all the stuff we know that gets in the way of us being a team. How do we, uh, what's that expression? How do we get the fish from underneath the table? Because that's a bit smelly and I don't know where it's coming from to get the fish on the table. And that could be good stuff as well. So it doesn't yeah. always have to be about this function. It could be, what's the strengths of this team? We've had an amazing year. Let's just figure out, what is it that makes this team amazing? Because guess what, folks? Next year is going to be different. We're going to have new challenges. Think about you know COVID. High-performance teams would have been doing great and suddenly we're faced with this challenge. So the, the, the interesting thing about all teams is the context is always changing. And how do you be aware of that? So for me, team coaching is it's not a one-off, it's it's over a period of time. It's someone that is helping the team focus on performance as well as process, and someone who can stay with the conversation, even though that conversation may be uncomfortable, confusing. You know, people can walk in a team coaching sessions feeling depleted or low, but that's where we need to go in order to get to the next place. So it can be a roller coaster. And it does take a team and a team leader. Who's willing to go on that journey to actually stick with the uncomfortable, but it has huge impact in terms of helping to flush out all of those explicit and implicit things that get in the way of us truly being a team. What would you add? I mean, I know you do this work as well. Yeah. What would you take on team coaching? You've articulated that so well, because I was going to say
0: if some people are listening in. it's. A, I was going to ask you, how do we manage people's expectations? Because, again, it's not a quick fix team coaching. It really is that investment of time and resources, and it's a commitment to a process. So thank you very much for, for articulating that on my behalf. Um, and for me, sometimes I'm seen as a coach as like, you're the judge. What do you think? You know, and they're having sidebar conversations with me, where I'm going to go and this is the work that we need to to do, and these are the conversations we need to have. But it's putting it in the work into the center of the conversation as a team, rather than these little sidebar conversations. You know, and it is about staying with the conversation that you were saying. It's for me as a as a team coach. It's about you talked about managing different tensions there. It's about holding that tension in the room so you can have those difficult conversations. And I think that's how you know you have a really good team coach is to be able to manage that tension uh, in a way that's done um, in a very nuanced way that helps that psychological safety build, you know. So again, one thing that I would say to people and it is about context and, and constantly changing and adapting it's it's this metaphor that I use is do you would you bring the same apple to a meeting every day after a while that would get stale and, and rotten mm. you know what is it what value are you bringing to the team what new are you bringing and that's the work of individuals but also the work of leaders but also the work of a team so there's work to be done on different levels and that's the beauty of Team coaching is. It keeps that alive. It keeps momentum going because we're all part of a an organism that's known, uh, you know, uh, as an organisation, that system, and we're part of that team system. You know, have I have I articulated the work that I do well? If that does
1: that ring a bell with you? It it does, yeah. But as you're talking, I'm also thinking, you know, to to say to the listeners, I think we're describing. team coaching as a person right now but but as team leaders we can bring a team coaching lens into our teams now it gets tricky right because no more than than you know if you come visit me and my family for dinner times and you see all the dynamics i'm a huge part of those dynamics so it's hard to be holding that space when you're so in it and again the team coach kind of uh, if it can be an external person has the benefit of bordering that line they can be in and out but as a team leader you know how do you bring if you think about the core of a coaching style it's curiosity it's it's asking questions it's not trying to solve how can you you know even some things we've talked about today could you bring up in your next team meeting let's revisit our purpose let's actually think about are we aligned to our stakeholders let's bring in the topic of psychological safety and and encourage people to start expressing their views I mean as you and I describe team coaching that might sound like a huge uh, investment of time and effort I would often say to teams, why not even start with just a, a one-day health check? And what I mean by that is, is maybe it's a good time. You know, we're, we're getting more and more used to doing 360s as individuals, gathering feedback from different perspectives. Why not do that for your team? And, and part of that interesting part is, is getting the team to talk about how they see the team. So that can be a survey or interviews. But what would it be like to gather some views of the team about this team? And, and often the really interesting part is is not the the absolutes but it's the the divergence of opinion but also how do you get the stakeholders i was working with a team a couple of years ago and, and their feedback to me was this is the best team ever i love it we're doing amazing work and it was great very exciting to hear it we go out and talk to their stakeholders and they go actually i'm not sure how that team x is different to team b uh, oh, that team! I, I know the leader, but I don't know anybody else in it. What do they do again? And so it was a bit of a reality check that the stakeholders weren't seeing what the team were experiencing, and I've seen it vice versa. The stakeholders are loving what they get, and the team are finding it hard work. So if there was any one encouragement you know firstly just start the conversation in your team meetings make some time to get away from task and start having that conversation but if you want to do something a bit more formal but not overwhelming even just to engage with some kind of 360 process that's focusing on the team as the unit, not the individuals. And it's a real, someone once described it to me as, as ripping off the plaster, which doesn't sound very nice, but, but it's a real way to start some interesting conversations. How do each of us perceive this team? The strengths and the areas of development and how do our stakeholders see it? And even from that conversation, you'll get lots of more clarity and lots of areas for, for focus.
0: Yeah and it's it's great that you've given us so many options then to you know to dip your toe in the water a little bit in a safe way which which I think is is great and it's funny you know leadership comes up quite a bit in the podcast and it really is about looking through that lens of of a coach and some of the best leaders that I've seen uh, are witnessed in action are the people who practice uh, this? It's part of their leadership uh, style, and sometimes that they don't need a team coach at all because they're already practicing this. And what they would do is they might have a coach or someone that they go for supervision, so they're not bringing in their own baggage into the room or their own biases or whatever. They they can actually, you know, really be in that moment, be present to the needs of the team. So thank you so much for that. So Colin, we're getting to the end of the podcast here and what I'd like to do is give our listeners um, some maybe key takeaways. So what are the key takeaways that we could offer uh, about
1: the importance of teams and organizations? Key takeaways for me is, is is realization that teams are the key unit of performance and of change within our organizations. And I would ask all the listeners to think about what are you doing either as a member of a team or multiple teams or a leader? What are you doing to help that team learn? And how do we build a learning muscle into being a team? I think the other key takeaway I'd suggest is, is what do you need to be? Do you need to be a team? And, and are you acting like a team or do you need to be a group and are you acting like a group? So maybe thinking about that team versus group um, spectrum. There can be overlap. And I think there's just a few things then is, is to start the conversations. So I think the, the easiest place often to start is let's go and speak to our stakeholders and let's just revisit that purpose part uh, and in, an, in a robust, meaningful way, not just it's a nice set of words, but is is this purpose compelling? and consequential and unique to us. Because again, if there's five other teams in this organisation doing the very same thing as us in the same way, well, we're not going to make that contribution. So I would just be advocating, really think about what do you need to be, are you acting that way, and how to get after the purpose. If that's already there, again, I think we've already talked about getting curious about norms or psychological safety. And then the last thing I maybe talk about is, is if I was going to give one more other aspect of high performance teams, they have clear goals. That can be really hard when we are a, a service function like HRIT, or IT, but without a sense of of knowing if we're winning. So if, if I take the back to sport for a second, if, if we have teams playing in Wembley or the Aviva Stadium or Crow Park and they're looking up and there's no scoreboard. Imagine, I mean, that's like the kids playing sports in the park. It goes on forever and there's, there's no rules. The scoreboard does change how the team reacts, okay? So a team that's a couple of scores down with 10 minutes to go will have to adapt. Again, I'm always struck by the number of teams, especially senior leadership teams, uh, where is that? it is that cross-functional uh, come-together. They don't have a clear scorecard of what success looks like for that team. And some of these may have to be subjective. It might be around culture, but they probably all have their functional scorecards. But I think every team needs a sense of what does winning look like and how do we keep paying attention to that. So so I'm hoping there's probably no one thing, but I'm hoping the listeners might just go back and think about it. let's start some conversations either on their own or, or with some support from HR or from external people like ourselves, because your team is going to be the key measure of success here. It's not about you anymore. You know, the measure of leadership. And what's that great quote? It's it's not about creating more followers; it's about creating more leaders. How do you create collective leadership in your team so you're not doing all of the work? And so, I think hopefully the takeaway is just to start talking to your team about how are we doing as a team.
0: Okay Column, that has been a fascinating uh, conversation and I really like what you said at the end in terms of having clear goals because a lot of people might feel burnt out at the moment or they feel like they're not really celebrating any wins so I think uh, this is a, a very timely conversation that we had um, and if people were to get in contact with you Cullum, um how might they do so?
1: Yeah, thanks, William. So, uh, best way to reach me is uh, or two ways, I guess. My website is uh, dynamicleadership.ie, and my email is uh, column C-O-L-M, dot Murphy, at dyna- dynamicleadership.ie. So they can reach out to me. I'm very happy if they mentioned that they've heard this conversation. William, very happy to offer up a one hour free consultation with the team leader or the team, even just to provoke some of these questions as a discussion point. It doesn't have to be any more formal than that. But it was useful to come and join the team meeting and just yeah ask some of these questions to get that conversation going. Very happy if they uh, want to reference the, the podcast.
0: Really appreciate that offer to our listeners, Columns. So I just want to thank you so much again for those valuable uh, insights. Uh, I've even picked up one or two things for you in terms of the way you articulate uh, your messages there. So I really appreciate that. Thanks very much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for
1: having me. All the very best. Thank you, man.
0: That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at DifferentPaths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.